I'd like you to take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's like eight, page 843, somewhere in there. We're going to start our very first message in the series, Last Days. And uh, you don't want to miss that. By the way, we have Saturday night contemporary service going on right now, which, is, which has been really a lot of fun. Last weekend, or this past Saturday night, we had an ice cream social afterwards. That was kind of fun. A lot of people stayed, hung out, talked about the message. And then next Saturday night, we got texting going on. So if you ever wanted to come and text and ask a question, you might want to check us out. That gave you enough time to get 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to the words of Paul. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Take your pen out and uh, grab your notes. And, and I want you to draw a straight line. Mine's not very straight. All right. I didn't do well in art, as most of you know. And then divide it in half. Like this. And on the left side, I want you to write this present age. And then on the right side, I want you to write the age to come. Which side do you think we're living on? This present, right? This present age, okay? Now, in the middle, I want you to put day of the Lord. Just like that, okay? Day of the Lord. Wow, this thing is like exploding on me, Darcy. Do you have another color? If you don't, that's okay. I can handle this one. I just don't think it would go well with my yellow. All right. Thank you. Okay. All right. Now, when the Jews would look at time and history, or when we talk about time, and we speak about it prophetically, There are two ways of looking at it. They would talk, and we would talk about this present age, obviously the day and time we're living in now, and then the age to come, or that is the future, right? Or sometimes they refer to as the golden age. In between is what is known as the day of the Lord. And in the Bible, the day of the Lord is that moment in time when God says, enough is enough, and he pours his wrath out on the wickedness or the evil and the perpetrators of that evil in this world. And Paul says that it will be a terrible experience right up until that point in time. He says it again. Look at what he says. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. So when are the last days? Well, the last days are this period. I'm not sure exactly where it starts, but it's right before God pours out his wrath. Many scholars say that it's an actual time period and it is like evil's final assault. It's like the devil knows that his time is up and so he launches this final offensive against Christ, his truth, and his followers, the church. Now some people when they talk about the last days, they say, well that's that's all the time for when Jesus died till Jesus comes back. But these last days that we're talking about here are a specific period of time right up until that moment. And the question for us today is, are we living somewhere in these last days? Are we at the doorsteps or somewhere along the process? Well, to answer that question, we kind of have to look at, well, what are the last days going to be like? And Paul tells us right here in the passage, look together. He says, but mark mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. If you want to find a word to describe everything that Paul's about to say, it would be self-obsession. One of the marks in the last days is self-obsession. Extreme self-preoccupation. 
And Paul says that this extreme self-preoccupation is marked by extreme materialism. He says not only are they lovers of themselves, but lovers of what? Lovers of money. Now, we all struggle with money because money is power. Money is wealth. Money is success. Money is ability. But in the last days, there'll be like this obsession with money, with materialism. And why is that? It's because in our culture today, there is this mindset that believes and thinks that we can buy our happiness, that we can buy satisfaction. And so we like accumulate all this stuff, kind of stuffing it into that void in our life, and we get it, and you know, for a few minutes or a few days, it makes us kind of happy, and then it wears out, and we're looking for the next thing. Well, in the last days, there will be like this fanatical pursuit to fill the void with all kinds of stuff that's available. And we know that we live in a culture right now that is in hot pursuit of things to satisfy. And it leads to so much, so much trouble, so many problems, foreclosure, debt, you know, the kind of stuff that's going on in our culture. But there's one area that we rarely talk about when it comes to materialism, and it's the impact that it has on the family. And in our American culture today, the family has been under attack, but it is severely under attack, and one of the enemies is materialism. It's so much so that I came across a a quote by one author who was studying the culture, and here's what she said. The modern mind does not view families as the fundamental building block of free society, but rather a threat to individual liberty. That's because service to others is viewed as enslaving, while service to self is the highest ideal. Did you hear that? You and I live in a time when the idea of sacrificing for others is kind of put down. And the, and the mantra is, live for yourself. And so we see many families disintegrating today because of people's pursuit of the good life. And parents are out trying to achieve the good life. They're sacrificing time with their children. They're sacrificing being a role model for their children. They're letting others raise their children. No wonder Paul goes on the passage right afterwards. And he says, and, parent, and children will be disobedient to their parents. I mean, if you're neglecting your kids, they're going to be disobedient. If you're not setting a role model, they're going to become cantankerous and rebellious. But not only that, listen to this. You and I also live. In a culture and in a time when it is no longer fashionable to have a large family. It used to be in America if you had a large family. That was, you know what, that was a wonderful thing. It was a, it was a sign of, of uh, um, prosperity to some extent. It was a sign of, of values. It was a sign of honoring you know, God's commandment to go home and multiply. And nowadays, if you have a large family, you're oftentimes made fun of. You're oftentimes put down. Why is that? Because people look at that and go, why are you sacrificing? I mean, you have to make so many sacrifices to have these kids. Why don't you have the right car, the right home? Take those vacations. In fact, we know that across America, and especially in Europe right now, that middle and upper class people are having less and less children. In fact, the more secular a nation becomes, the fewer children it has. Why? Because of the pursuit of materialism. The more religious a people are, the more apt they are to have families and have children. And there's this whole phenomenon, this whole shift that's taking place in our culture. Where other 
ethnicities that are far more religious, take Muslims, for instance, and I'm not being critical, will have far more children. Why? Because they, they value family, and for them, religion, family, society are integrated. Whereas, take many uh, non-Muslims and take many folks who are uh, upper middle class, you know, um, Christians supposedly living in here and living in Europe and they're having fewer and fewer, in fact, no children are, are not even replacing themselves. Why? Why do I bring that all up? Because it is all part and parcel of this whole mindset that me first, I don't have time for kids, I don't have time to make sacrifice for them. Look on at the passage. Let me think about this for a minute. Lovers themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, conceited. It will be marked with a time of pride, extreme pride. And you know, when you have pride in your life, it's really hard to have God in your life. Because God says, put yourself in your place. Humble yourself and look at me. I am God. And in a culture that, that is all about me, all about self, God gets in the way and we have to deconstruct God. We kind of have to take God's platform away. No wonder in these last few years we've had authors like Dan Brown writing books like The Da Vinci Code and other authors coming along to question Jesus, to even question his morality, to accuse him of having a relationship with Mary Magdalene and fathering children. And then you've got these folks that want to present themselves as archaeologists who say they found Jesus' family tomb and yet not one true scholar has backed that up. You have other books written to say that Judas wasn't such a bad person, that there are other gospels out there that contradict the books of the Bible that you and I have. You have scientists who want to tell us that there can't be any possibility that God exists. Why, why all this hatred toward God? Why all this vengeance toward the scriptures? I'll tell you why. It's because you have people living in a time when self must be exalted and God is in the way. God is in the way. In fact, that last word, abusive, there that he uses in my version, boastful, proud, abusive, means literally in the Greek to blaspheme God. We sure see it happening in our culture today. No wonder parents are dis- or children are disobedient to their parents. No wonder people are ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. I feel like I'm reading the newspaper, don't you? I feel like I'm reading the news. Be like I'm watching what's going on around me. Say, man, you sound like a pessimist. It's a rainy day. I was hoping to get some encouragement here. I am a pessimist when it comes to the world working it out. I am an optimist when it comes to God. When it comes to God. Look what else he says. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now listen carefully. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. And then he tells us about a really weird, perverse situation. Verse 6. He's talking about certain people who have the form of godliness. They look good on the outside. He says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They're men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, Janus and Jambres, their folly will be clear to everyone. In other words, Paul's saying to Timothy, who lived in Ephesus, biggest city in Asia Minor, he's saying, you know, Timothy, there are some who pose as though they are Christians. They have the form of godliness, but watch out for them. Look what they're doing. They find weak-willed women. They find women who are sensual and women who are easily tempted. 
And they use the guise of the gospel and the guise of being spiritual to enter into their homes and seduce them by convincing them that if they have sexual relations with them, that somehow it'll bring them closer to the truth. He says they're like Janice and Jambres, who were the traditional names given to the magicians who opposed Moses and Aaron in Egypt. Remember when the plagues came? The Egyptians had their own magicians to counter the plagues, and eventually those magicians were exposed as frauds. Paul is saying, watch those folks. You just watch them. They will soon be exposed as frauds, and they'll be judged. Now, what does that have to do with you and have to do with me today? Simply this. There are a lot of people in our culture right now who sound Christian, but are not. In fact, in your culture and mine right now, there is a movement underway to develop and define a new Christianity and a new Jesus. It's as though Jesus has moved through fads. There was the old-fashioned Jesus, the more modern Jesus, and now the edgy Jesus. And his theology has changed. And the scriptures once spoke to people living way back when, you know, they had to say the way, the things they said. But today the scripture is being rewritten in our, in the modern mindset to, to kind of give way to our views of life that, that there are so many ways to find God and, and that your morals are your morals and my morals are my morals. And as long as I'm a fairly decent good guy, I mean, what could be wrong with that? And I'm not talking about something that's being spoken about and whispered at in the corners of, of a room or in our culture. This is really out front. It is a rage today. I want to show you a little video clip from um, Oprah. And, and I think Oprah's done a lot of good, but I think she does a lot of bad because she has so much influence so much influence on millions of people i want you to listen as she's in this little debate about religion listen to what she says the video quality the panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of god but i also believe that there are two forces that are here with us that we do have our, our our god that we can depend on but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of And, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, uh, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other. That all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, it, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a then human how do you being please and, God? and many ways no but many paths right. to what you call God that and her crazy. path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her to, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not all right do you hear what she's saying there's this mistaken thought out there that there's just one way but there are actually what how many ways millions millions of ways and and you know you may call your end jesus and somebody else may call it buddha and somebody else may call it you know and on and on and on and it's like redefining jesus it's like redefining the scripture so that everybody everybody's included folks that's not what the bible teaches and that's not the jesus that the scriptures represent 
And so there's this form of godliness, there's this form of spirituality, but, but, Paul says, it will be exposed and, and it will be judged. And you and I need to be careful. And that's the world that you and I live in. Now the question is, is are the days that you and I live in, are they these last days? Well, I honestly don't know, right? I can't tell you for sure. But when I look at what's going on in the world, when I look at history up until this point in time, and I, and I look around and I say, who are the voices left? Who are, who are the believers out there? Who are the influencers out there? Man, I'm telling you, it's dark. It's like turning all the lights off in this place and letting a few candles still be lit. That's about the extent it feels like of the witness of Christ in this world. We dare not let our light be extinguished because the only hope of this world right now, the only hope of this nation, I'm convinced, is if there were to be a spiritual revival. Otherwise, folks, I think we are going down fast. And I'm not just, I'm not trying to, you know, um, just say something to shock you or say something just to, you know, just to be outlandish or make a point or get your attention. I honestly believe that. It is not a good place. We very well could be on the doorsteps of those last days. The question is, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? How do we overcome it? How do we go counterculture? How, does you, how do you as a parent or a grandparent raise your kids up in this forceful stream that's trying to move you down further from God? How do you as an individual stand strong? Paul tells us in the passage, look at verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what excuse me, and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Let's stop there. Paul says we need two things to go counterculture. We need two things to overcome. We need two things to be strong. Very simple. One, he says you need a guide. You need a guide. Paul says to Timothy, his young protege, he says, look at me, okay? Look at me. Look at my life. Look at my life over the long haul. Look at me. And follow the example I've tried to lead. Now, Paul wasn't claiming to be perfect. But he's saying, if you look at my life, you'll see the consistency. I have tried to live a life that is worthy. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, and uncle, listen to me. You need to be a mentor and a model for your children and grandchildren. Christians, those of you who are at work, who are at school, who are in different places of society. You need to be a mentor, an example for others who are looking for someone that they can follow. And we're not perfect and we let each other down. I know that. But Paul said there are some qualities that will help you choose a mentor. One, he says, they need to be transparent. They need to be transparent. He says, you know all about my way of life. Secondly, they need to always speak the truth. Paul says, you know, my teaching, it's all based on God's word. One of the ways we look for mentors and people to follow, guides, are do their words add up? Do their words stay consistent with what the scriptures teach? Thirdly, not only are they transparent, not only do they teach truth, but they practice the truth. They practice what they preach. Paul referred to his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance, persecutions, etc. 
Notice Paul didn't just say it. Paul actually lived it. And, and Timothy knew. He'd been with Paul many a time. He could see that Paul lived a consistent life. But I think the greatest test of character, the greatest test of, of a person truly being worthy of, of being an example in our life is when they're willing to suffer for Christ. And Paul suffered for Christ in so many ways. In other words, am I willing to stay true to Christ and lose my friends? Am I willing to stay true to Christ and lose my promotion? Am I willing to stay true to the word of God and be ridiculed by my teachers or my, my uh, peers? Am I willing to suffer for Christ? Boy, I tell you, when you find somebody who's willing to suffer for Christ in their family, at their job, in their school, in their neighborhood, you have found somebody who's worthy to be an example and a mentor in your life. Paul said there's something else we need. We can't just have people in our lives. Paul says we also need a compass. Look at verse 15. And how from infancy you know, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, I have this little... Uh, GPS device. And I don't have one, but somebody uh, lent it to me to use. How many of you have one in your car or on? It's okay to have one. Let me see your hands, all right? Yeah, make sure you uh, protect them. I, I read the paper. They're being stolen right and left, okay? How many of you wish you had one? Yeah, they are so handy. I was with somebody the other day driving, and, had, and this person had one. And just, I mean, they're just so cool. I love it. Watch this. I'm going to put the demonstrator on here for you. And so simple to use. I'm selling these afterwards. Just kidding. All right. So, so just listen now. Right. Then take the second right. After 100 yards, turn right. After 400 yards, turn left. Then stay in the right lane. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, look at that. I mean, I don't have to do anything. I can actually focus on driving. Thanks, Darcy. I can actually focus on driving versus my trying to drive and look at the map and getting lost, confused. That thing's telling me, I like somebody telling me when to turn left and get in the right lane. That's very cool. God has given you and me a GPS system. It's called his word. God's word. And you know, it is so detailed that according to Paul, it'll teach you how to live. It will It'll correct you when you turn wrong. It'll tell you to turn the other way and which way to go. It'll encourage you. It will equip you. It has what you need for your marriage. It has what you need for your children. It has what you need as a young person to to grow up to be wise. It has what you need to deal with problems and situations in life. God's Word, the most sold book in the world, but probably the least read. Just sits on our shelves. And we're out there in this fog trying to navigate life. And we're out there in this fog of this culture trying to figure out how to you know, raise our family and how to live and what matters and what doesn't matter. And man, that's a dangerous thing to do without a guide and without a compass. I think John Krakauer tells the story of, of his ascent out Mount Everest into thin air. And in it, he says, they finally summited Mount Everest. And when he got to the top, he could only stay a few minutes, and he, he had to get down because his muscles were exhausted, his limbs were frozen, and his brain was oxygen-deprived. 
And as he was descending down, there was this fog that settled in around him. And then lightning and thunder and, and, and a snowstorm. Fortunately, he was close to base camp four and he made it. But there were four people who had actually climbed earlier than him but had stayed up longer than him. And on their way down, the same fog blanketed them in, same thunder and lightning and snowstorm, and they literally got disoriented. Not knowing what else to do, they finally just stopped and, and just laid down and prayed they survived till morning, and they did. But when they woke up in the morning, according to Krakauer, they realized they were only one foot away from the 4,000-foot precipice on the back wall of Everest. In other words, one more step, and they would have all been killed. And I feel like that is the position of so many people today, and even, even those who call themselves Christians, so many of us, we are wandering around in a fog, trying to maneuver the culture one step away from disaster. Because we're not hooked in to the compass and we're not following good role models and examples in our lives we're trying to do it on our own are we living in the last days maybe maybe if not then i'm telling you can you imagine what it's like right now can you imagine what the last days are going to be like with the onslaught of evil and deception and deceit coming from every angle including including the church because there are always deceivers. There are always false teachers. Folks, the only way we're going to survive is to make a commitment to the Word of God. And it's so simple. That's why we try to get you to journal over and over again. Be in the Word, day in, day out. Let God's GPS system guide you. And finding those role models. Some alive today, some, some who passed away. Godly men and women who've left a legacy in writing of how to handle life, how to deal with struggles. I'm wondering as we begin this series this weekend, if you will commit afresh and anew to letting God guide your life to keep you away from the edge of disaster. Let's pray. Father, as we go from this place today, we have been reminded once again that we live in a dangerous and treacherous world. But I thank you, Father, that we don't have to become victims. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to live confused. And I thank you, Father, that it's not about surviving. God, you have given us the power to overcome. And I pray now, Lord, that he who is greater in in me, in us, than he that is in the world would empower each one of us to live victoriously. If you're here this morning... You've never placed your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. Let me say to you, that is the first step. Giving your heart to Christ. Letting him become the navigator of your life. Truly, your guide of guides. If you've never done that this morning, I'd like you to come and talk to me. I'll be out in the guest center. Just say, just say, Dale, I would like to receive Christ. I want him in my life. And you know what? I'll, I'll line you up with somebody and we'll pray with you. And you can have Christ in your life and get a start. But I want you to know today as you leave that God loves you. And that everybody here matters to him. And I want you to know that no matter what you've done this week, what you said, what you've thought, he forgives you. 
Do you receive his forgiveness? Do you? Then, then may you go in his peace and be blessed. Let's all stand together. Don't forget to be here next weekend. We're going to talk about when Jesus is going to return. Bring your calendars with you. Enough said, right? Do you believe God loves you today? Uh, that sounded like you did. That's good. Be encouraged. And if you're a guest, I'll see you at Guest Center. God bless you guys.